edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that believes the hard part ain't over yet. Greetings, everyone. I am your host, Andrew Halcrow. With me, as always, is my main man, Van Sanders. Van, headed to Seward this week, you are, I believe. How you doing? That is correct. We are going back for Mom's Roof Round 2 with Round 3 the following weekend. Wish me luck. Well, I wish you the best of luck, and I just want to say for the record, you are a good son. You're a good kid, Van Sanders. You're a good kid. I like kids with guts, and you got guts, kid. You're going to go far. All right, moving on. (laughs) I would like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very, very, very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. Today on With All Due Respect, we focus on politics and life. In politics, we look ahead to the August special session and try and find some kind of upside. And in a hybrid life politics segment, Mayor-elect Dave Bronson has appointed my successor at ACDA, and I have some strong opinions on the past, present, and future of the organization. So let's get started by talking some politics. Politics. And now, for some politics. With just three days to spare, the Alaska State Legislature avoided a government shutdown, but still left critical things unfunded, including money for tourism, energy relief, and college scholarships. The bill's effective date, passed with 28 votes, needed 27, and only because a few holdout Republicans agreed to move the process forward to avoid a government shutdown. Now, they still need three-quarter vote, which is 30 votes to access the CBR, and you still have 14 Republicans holding the state budget and the economy hostage. And these same 14 Republicans are still no closer to getting their demands met. The effective date passage was made possible by an agreement brokered between the majority and the minority, which created what's called a sense of the House. It's an agreement to create a bipartisan working group to work on a fiscal plan. Now, this was my favorite line from the entire agreement. Quote, tasked with developing recommendations that will provide fiscal certainty through a balanced budget. Close quote. They'll be addressing PFD amounts, potential new revenues, or budget cuts. But my favorite part is provide fiscal certainty through a balanced budget. Man, there is no wiggle room on that. These plans have to be outlined by the first day of the August special session. This working group will give the majority a platform, if they take it, to highlight what a true fiscal plan looks like and what the minority's fiscal plan looks like as well. The 50-50 dividend split requires a two-thirds majority for passing the legislature. The reality is there are simply not that many votes for putting a constitutional amendment on the ballot, so I'm not sure what the end game is for the minority. The governor's proposal would create the need for either $1 billion in new taxes or budget cuts. So, $500 million in revenue, $500 million in cuts. Where? Where are they coming from? Where are the taxes coming from? Where are the budget cuts coming from? 
Adjusted for inflation, currently, the state of Alaska is spending at 1975 levels. Let me repeat, 1975 levels. Think about this. Our current resource revenues in 2021 cannot cover even 1975 costs. Education and healthcare are two of the most expensive costs, with demographics both driving costs higher annually. Look, we ain't getting any younger, and we certainly aren't getting any healthier. This is where the majority has the opportunity to simply bury the governor's plan. Allow them to call their own experts. Force them to make their case where to cut, where to tax, how to pay for the billions in free services their constituents get for free and have since 1983. We know the governor's plan is financial suicide. We know the minority lawmakers who are holding the state's economy for a higher government payout will not only wreck the dividend program, but as we mentioned, it will cause a billion-dollar deficit. It's time to make lawmakers who are making a bigger government dividend their last stand to defend their position. They need to stop whining about what their constituents think they're owed and show us how they are going to pay for it. Do it. Stop talking about how unfair the current formula is and put the money you are demanding where your mouth is. Meanwhile, Governor Dunleavy, who promised to introduce revenue measures in August to cover the cost of his billion-dollar proposal, has now said he won't. Why? Because it's an election year next year, he says. And ain't nobody voting for taxes in an election year, he says. First, allow me to once again prove the governor wrong. In 2002, I was part of a bipartisan coalition that voted for an income tax exactly six months before the 2002 election. In fact, that was the only time the House of Representatives passed a comprehensive fiscal plan, including using permanent fund earnings, a small income tax, and an alcohol tax during an election year. However, Dunleavy's focus was only on gambling revenues. But using gambling revenues to fill the fiscal gap has been considered for over 20 years. It was considered when I was in the legislature. The problem with gambling is it doesn't generate any money. And so when the governor realized that his only revenue source would generate just pennies on the dollar for what he hoped for, he abandoned the entire idea, along with any plan to introduce revenues. Why? Because all other revenues would be taxes that would have to be levied against either businesses or individuals. I mean, this is a guy who got elected promising no new taxes, and then he switched gears and said, no, 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 we need a vote of the people before any new taxes. Now, here's a governor who has painted himself so deep into the corner, he can't propose revenues, the only revenues that would pay for his ill-thought-of plan. Now, remember, the sole purpose of this special session is to hear the governor's plan. His plan wouldn't just incur billion-dollar deficits annually. They would constitutionalize $1 billion in deficits annually. That's the huge difference. By placing the dividend in the Constitution, you've enshrined an entitlement in the state Constitution. That means even if the state, say, didn't have money one year to pay a dividend, they would still be constitutionally required to fund the dividend. They would have to find the money somewhere, somehow. Those nice men and women who sit as Alaska Supreme Court justices aren't going to give a damn if the state treasury doesn't have the cash to pay for a dividend. If it's in the Constitution, you will find a way to pay for it. And since the principle of the fund is the only other available pot of money, and you can't spend that without a change in the Constitution, Alaska would be basically screwed. Seriously, where would lawmakers go to get money to pay a cash entitlement, no less? 
I mean, all of this hoo-ha, when the reality is what's needed in a fiscal plan has been known for 30 years. It's never going to change. And the longer you wait, the harsher these components will have to be. The components are four. The first one is you have to use PFD earnings based on a sustainable formula. The second thing is you need a broad-based tax. You need people to start contributing for government. The third is you need to control the cost of government. Obviously, we live in a resource-driven state. Those are prices, fluctuating commodities. We need to be cognizant of that. Number four, you need to grow the economy like hell. And I mean all, I, I, don't, I don't mean sitting around waiting for oil development. I mean creating economic energy within our communities. Now, what happens when the working group comes back the same way they've always come back, where it's clear that to reach a balanced budget, you need additional revenues and a greater percentage of permanent fund earnings? You will still need 30 votes in the House to fund the remainder of the budget. So at the end of the day, it's still going to come down to the same dozen lawmakers who can't do math and won't listen to the experts who can do math. Between now and then, lawmakers opposed to the governor's proposal should agree on a message. It's not enough to argue that $2,300 is unsustainable. It's time to pound home the question, how? For God's sakes, tell me how. How does Alaska pay for a billion dollars a year in budget deficits? How does Alaska pay for other constitutional mandate services like education, health care, when we don't have the cash, but yet the courts rule the state treasury still has to pay Alaskans a $2,300 dividend? How does any of this happen without wrecking the future of Alaska's economy? How? The majority needs to demand that Governor Dunleavy sit in committee and explain, look into the camera, that wonderful gavel-to-gavel camera, and tell all of Alaskans how the hell he is going to pay for a $1 billion a year constitutionalized annual budget deficit. That's the question lawmakers should force the higher dividend crowd to answer. How? And now, let's talk about life. This week, Mayor-elect Dave Bronson announced my successor at ACDA. Former mayoral candidate Mike Robbins has been named the new executive director. Now, of course, there are certain similarities. I, too, was a mayoral candidate who was appointed by Mayor Berkowitz. And in all honesty, I didn't know a thing about parking or development, just that it needed to be done and it needed to be innovative. So after spending six years at the helm of ACDA and reshaping the entire organization, I have some opinions. First, a hearty congratulations to Mike Robbins. This is an amazing job and a phenomenal group of employees. The staff at ACDA Easy Park are some of the most amazing, dedicating, caring people you will ever meet. I was on the job less than three weeks before I watched one of my parking enforcement officers talk a distressed woman off the ledge of the Fifth Avenue garage. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot unsee that. No formal training, no time to call 911, just empathy and compassion. To be honest, over the six years, I have seen both successful and unsuccessful interventions off our garages and the effects on our employees. These are special people. And so when you drive downtown and you see a parking enforcement officer, know that there is a chance that they might have saved a life. Now, I'd like to cover three areas. ACDA's accomplishments over the last six years, how we've set the table for Malek, Bronson, and Mr. Robbins, and how we established accountability measurements for future political appointees to ACDA as executive director. 
First, let me tell you how critical it is that Mike Robbins succeeds in this job. During my first week on the job in 2015, I had the opportunity to fly to both Wichita and Oklahoma City to study their downtown housing effort. During that visit, I sat in a room with mayors, city planners, community development directors, bankers, and developers, and they all were on the same page. The mayor of Oklahoma City told us that for the last 25 years, there has almost been a competition between mayors about who could do more for downtown. For the last 25 years, mayor after mayor has kept a commitment to downtown, and today, Oklahoma City is recognized as the hallmark of downtown revitalization. However, Anchorage hasn't been so lucky. Over the last 30 years, Maestrom, Begich, Berkowitz all loved downtown and invested in downtown. Sullivan basically ignored downtown for six years. However, we brought the lessons we learned back with us, and over the last six years, ACDA in the Berkowitz-Davidson administration has accomplished more transformative work in downtown than has been accomplished in decades. I'm going to repeat that. In the last six years, during a recession and a pandemic, more transformative work has been done downtown than in the last few decades. First, we focused on public safety. The Berkowitz administration added 100 new officers to the force and restarted downtown foot patrols for the first time and anyone can remember. ACDA bought the old LIO building and moved APD back downtown for the first time in 34 years, and in doing so, saved local taxpayers conservatively between 20 and $30 million on a new APD facility. Also with public safety, ACDA created the first ever safety response number where people downtown can call one number to report graffiti, trash, or suspicious behavior. Today, we are using Easy Park employees in our dispatch center in partnership with the Anchorage Downtown Partnership to triage calls to determine if it requires a 911 response or an internal response. This has saved APD time and money. Downtown and Town Square are now safer than six years ago when there were gangs roaming and riots downtown. We attacked the biggest public health and safety problem in downtown, the Transit Center. When I began in 2015, APD was called 471 times that year. The Community Service Patrol was called 2,100 different times. ACDA was spending almost a million dollars a year between security and janitorial. After spending my first three months basically living in the facility, watching everything from drug dealing, sex trafficking, and assault, it was clear that we needed to shut and gut that building. Within three years, APD calls had dropped 83% and community service patrol calls had dropped 65%. Today, the building is closed and a local developer is working on plans for a 150-room boutique hotel with 32 apartments. Downtown's 30-year nightmare with the transit center is now over. We also focused on downtown housing. Over the last six years, between Elizabeth Place and Block 96 Flats, we have added more new housing downtown than in the last 40 years combined. Ladies and gentlemen, this cannot be overstated. Due to a 10-year tax abatement passed by the Berkowitz administration, yes, a Democrat passed a tax break, it has paid huge dividends. During a recession and a pandemic, both the Berkowitz administration negotiating Elizabeth Place and ACDA negotiating Block 96 Flats, Anchorage now has the first housing developments in downtown in decades. This is what Mayor Bronson and Mike Robbins are going to be expected to do, to keep up. Over the last six years, we have invested millions in upgrading tenant signage, gate equipment, lighting, and structural improvements. The facade and entrances to the Fifth Avenue garage have completely been renovated. Over the last six years, ACDA Easy Park has won six major awards, local, national, and international, for our work in parking and development. We have built a true community development organization. 
but two of the most important accomplishments during the last six years have to do with creating accountability and high expectations in downtown. First, accountability. When I arrived at ACDA, I realized there were no accountability measures for the executive director. None. Absolutely none. There was no way for the board of directors to understand employees' opinions of my leadership or their satisfaction with the job. As a political appointee, I realized early on that future political appointees could be good, bad, or indifferent, and there was always going to be the need for the board of directors to have a gauge on how the executive director is leading the organization. So in my first few months as executive director, I created two surveys to be delivered to our board annually, an employee satisfaction survey and an executive director's performance review, which are publicly released every year. Every year, these two surveys are sent to the board to ensure accountability of the executive director. Not only did I want to know how I was doing, but I wanted to make damn sure that future executive directors were held accountable as well. So, as a result, next February, the public will be able to view the satisfaction levels of both ACDA Easy Park employees and their thoughts on the leadership and management skills of Mike Robbins. That is accountability in a politically appointed position. Second is expectations. One of the things I enjoyed about running ACDA was my team was so solid, I had time to focus on innovation and growth. That's one thing I hope Mr. Robbins has in his toolbox, is a creative mind. All of our award-winning campaigns and initiatives have been created by a spark, a crazy idea, a passing conversation in the hallway, even a newspaper article. The first food truck pod in downtown was a result of reading in the Anchorage Daily News about how the local food truck operator lost their spot to operate. Weeks later, we reached an agreement to host a pod on vacant land owned by ACDA downtown. This provided no-cost activation of the space, created an opportunity for local entrepreneurs, and created a great environment for downtown employees to get out of their office and stretch their legs. Meanwhile, while we were giving the use of the space to the community, we were behind the scenes negotiating the long-term plan for the land, which today is our new housing development. Other spur-of-the-moment ideas? The first downtown safety number came about walking down 4th Avenue and turning to a team member asking why we weren't using our dispatch center to collaborate with the Anchorage Downtown Partnership on response. The shutting and gutting of the transit center came about as a request of Mayor Berkowitz, who was committed to finally addressing the violence and vagrancy in the transit center. The idea to activate garage rooftops as parks was an idea we got sitting in Mayor Berkowitz's office in City Hall, looking out over a constantly empty top floor of the 6th and 7th Avenue garages. These rooftop parks have become a major draw, featuring movies, concerts, private parties, car shows, art exhibits, all while activating an empty rooftop, drawing people downtown while generating critical parking revenue for the agency. 99% of what we have done over the last six years wasn't planned when I arrived. It was imagined, and it was executed by an incredible team of people and an amazing board of directors. This job demands vision and creativity. Coming into ACDA, Mr. Robbins inherits a world of opportunities. For the last several years, as aggressively as we have been working on current projects, we have also been setting the table for the next administration. This is a key part of continuing that success we learned during that first week on the job when we visited Oklahoma City. Downtown development is like a pipeline. There always need to be deals flowing. When I inherited ACDA, there were no new potential projects in 2015. Six years later, the Bronson administration inherits four different ACDA projects that are teed up and ready to go. So, how have we set the table for Mike Robbins? 
ACDA can finalize the purchase of the JCPenney Garage and Nordstrom building. When I left, we had all agreed upon the price. The hang-up was Simon Properties, the people who own the mall. They have a first right of veto on what goes to replace the JCPenney Garage, and there is an ongoing argument about how much parking is required or how much parking they will require. Because parking does not pay for itself. So the site that the JCPenney garage sits on needs to be a hotel, apartment, something combined. So it's going to limit the amount of parking. So that was the hang-up. They could close that. Once that is worked out, Nordstrom is the perfect place for like a food hall. We've already been in conversations. We've talked to Simon Mall and said, hey, here's an idea. Move your food court into the Nordstrom building where we'll create a food hall. And then you can reimagine that fourth floor at the Simon Mall, Fifth Avenue Mall, into like a family space. There are all kinds of ideas. JCPenney Garage, of course, has to be raised, which is going to obviously be a hotel, housing, or parking, something that adds value. And when I resigned, we were pursuing a potential new housing project on other ACDA-owned land. So over the last six years, we have created high expectations with our customers, our stakeholders, and the development community that will be noticed if ACDA falters under Mayor Bronson. Today, as ACDA moves into new hands, downtown has exciting developments already occurring. The Key Bank building is getting a $40 million facelift. The Aviator Hotel on 3rd and C is getting a complete makeover into a boutique hotel, which will include a new 4th Avenue facade and entrance. Fire Island Bakery has announced a new downtown location at 7th and K, just a block from ACDA's new housing development at 8th and K, which will include La Bodega and Johnny's Produce. And downtown is opening back up, parking revenues are returning, and Mayor Bronson will inherit an award-winning development authority that has made public development history over the last six years and has projects ready to go. In 2015, I was a lifelong Republican who was appointed by a lifelong Democrat to breathe life into ACDA. I took over leadership of an agency that for six years, under former Republican Mayor Dan Sullivan, was told to sit down and shut up. I walked into the door of an agency that had been sidelined by Sullivan, with no vision, no strategic plan, and no new projects in the queue. Together, a Republican working with a Democrat created more downtown safety, more downtown development, and more future development opportunities. And we won more awards doing it than any time in the history of ACDA. That is why when Republicans and Democrats work together, you get stuff done. And when Republicans work with Republicans, you get a state government shutdown. This is why far-right Republicans try to minimize the accomplishments of ACDA over the last six years and why they despise U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski, because we both recognize that working across party lines is the only way to get the big stuff accomplished. So, if a Republican and a Democrat can work together to achieve historical accomplishments for downtown over six years during a recession, a pandemic, and an earthquake, then certainly we can expect two conservative Republicans in Bronson and Robbins who campaigned on their ability to make things better for downtown to accomplish more, or hell, at least the same, than we have during the last six years. I have great hopes for Mike Robbins as the new executive director of ACDA. He inherits a hardworking team and a dedicated board of directors who have a current strategic plan and transformational projects all teed up. All Mike Robbins needs to do is follow the path and keep up with expectations. OK, 
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there is the music, and you know what that means. A really quick reminder, our podcasts are new every Monday and Thursday, and you can access them on all the major platforms. We appreciate your support through our first 17 shows, and we hope you are enjoying our content. Dan, how about throwing us your website details? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's our time. And we thank you for yours because we have gone really over today. So have a great day.